If anyone is pessimistic about politics, come to California. Welcome back to the DWD podcast, a podcast focused on ending polarization through conversation. Today, we're joined by a fantastic guest. We're joined by Mitchell Rosenberg, who is the founder and the host of Simplified, a, an organization that's trying to simplify politics for our generation. Mitchell, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. So for anyone who is not familiar with you or any of your work, could you just give us a quick introduction to who you are? Sure. I am a 23-year-old guy from California, born and raised in California, um, in Southern California, moved up to Northern California after I graduated college to work for the governor, um, which is where I work now doing policy for him. Um, So obviously it has been a crazy year. Um, with everything going on for all of us. Um, But in the midst of all this, you know, have just had an idea for a long time to find a way to make politics accessible and not as scary for those of us who, you know, aren't going to go read a long New York Times article or kind of dive deep into the Bernie Biden unity plan, right? And how do we bring bring that to people? Um, So just kind of launched three months ago. That's that's great. I'm curious on on your behalf, accessible to who? Because it seems like news is more prevalent than ever before um, with access to social media, with access to typical forms of media, whether you watch CNN or Fox News or mm-hmm. whatever you, you may choose yeah. to subscribe to. Um, what about your platform makes it so accessible? It's interesting you say that because I think news is accessible to people like us who seek out the news. So news, it, I have tons of friends um, who are totally apolitical, right? They might They might vote. They might not, but they might vote, but they're not going to seek out, you know, what's going on in the news. They don't follow the same Twitter accounts that I might follow. Um, the things that I want to see, they don't, you know, get all the news alerts on their phones, right? They might get none of them. Um, and I think that that's kind of, those are kind of the people we're trying to target. Um, the truth is politics is complicated. It's not an easy beast, but we, there are ways to kind of break down those key things. And, you know, we kind of, when we started, you know, primary debates were still happening and kind of the thought was like, Look, you might see one of our videos on universal basic income, and then you watch the, the debate. You hear Andrew Yang talk about universal basic income, and now you at least have a base of knowledge. You're not going to be an expert at all, but you'll have a base and kind of understand and be able to follow along the conversation a bit better. Um, so I think those really are the people that we're targeting that aren't going to seek it out on their own. So let's kind of put it right in front of you in an easy, accessible, fun way. Mm. I think that's an important note because it can seem among politicians, and I think you have a unique perspective on this that I'd love if you could kind of talk a little bit about and how it influenced this project. Um, But there's almost a disconnect that we're noticing right now, especially among Democrats, where we get very stuck to the terminology we're using. And for example, like universal basic income, pretty simple in, in terms of words, but it is far more complex. So what what really inspired this from your personal background, I'm assuming from the legislative side, to bridge that gap? So my whole life, I thought I was going to go into entertainment. That was that was kind of my path. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, help people that way. Um, I'm going to, you know, go into talk shows, do kind of like produce like an Ellen kind of talk show that, that I thought helped people. Went to college thinking that, went as a television major, um, and then started interning on the Hillary campaign. And that just flipped it for me. And I ended up double majoring in television and political science, which people always said, why are you doing this? What's mm-hmm. the what's the overlap? And now I can say, here you go. Here's the overlap. Right. I think the um, kind of inspiration for me was 
there are we're living in such a polarized time right and that, that's what you're helping to solve we're living in such a polarized time and how can we kind of instill people with the knowledge that they need and the education that they need our education system in a lot of ways is very broken from the ground up from a young age you're not learning about civic education right you're not learning about how to register to vote and, and any of that so kind of how are we going to put that knowledge into people? And hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm a dreamer. I'm thinking we can try over time with not just us. There's tons of accounts doing a lot of educational politics right now, right? Educational issues. So how do we kind of inspire the next generation and maybe advocate for change within our education system? Um, you know, in New Jersey, starting in kindergarten, they're going to start learning about climate change. Wow. That's extremely important. And I think regardless of your, your political ideology, yes, it's become a partisan issue. Shouldn't be. It's science. Um, and I think that's just one example of kind of the things we can push into education from a young age. So then something like this isn't even necessary later on, right? If you start at a young age wanting to learn and wanting to know these things, you don't have to be an expert. You can work in any sector and you can understand what Medicare for all means at a base level or universal basic income means at a base level um, and kind of take that knowledge and, and bring it with you into everything you go. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I think... You know, we're we're really in line with that as well. It's a decentralized model to educate. I mean, it's super cool we have going on right now. Just the opportunity to to have these sorts of conversations or to post a, a sort of micro blog. That's the new form of education. It seems like I learn more on my phone than I do in the classroom. Mm. I don't know if that's where it's, that's where it's going towards. I think that kind of is where it's going. And the important part that you note is kind of meeting people where they're at. In the sense of we can we can focus all day long on macro level policy changes that need to occur, and this is this is kind of where I fall in line with all of this, and why Joey and I started the podcast. We can talk about polarization from an academic lens, from a policy making lens, think about ways that the, that these things can change, but that can feel like a really big uphill battle. Whereas we can easily take now to places like social media, to podcasts, to blogging, the internet, or even in our local communities with activism, where we can feel the change happening on a day-to-day -day level. So I think there is such a cross-section between politics and television, now especially, mm -hmm. because everything yeah. is, you know, how loud can you be? Right. How do you think that's... And, yeah, go for it. I, I was just going to say, and then imagine, you know, like, like you were talking about in the classroom, like imagine then what students can bring themselves to the classroom. When I took intro to American politics in college, it was at the time of the 2016 election. I had class the day after the election. The professor, we walked in, he said, okay, open up to chapter 12. Did not mention a word about the election. Jeez. And it was the most baffling thing to me to be like, I'm, I'm in a collegiate level, not even high school, collegiate level American politics class where we're not even going to pretend that the real world is happening. We're just mm -hmm. going to focus on the textbook. And I hope that that changes. You can still get the base level, but applying that to things happening today. Um, and I think, you know, uh, you know, say you come to our platform now, hopefully you can walk into class and say, hey, I learned about this and I want to talk about it. I want to debate it, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. How do you think the influence of this kind of, for lack of a better explanation, reality TV version of politics that we're going through right now is affecting the actual politics themselves, given that you've kind of been in the room where it happened, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it does, I think, and it's exhausting, right? Like when you're thinking about how someone is going to tweet about something and like that's a real consideration and like how it's going to be taken publicly, how people are going to talk about it. Um, I think that like even, you know, look at the things we cover. I mean, this week we're doing 
breaking down the war between Twitter and Trump. Like when have you, you know, like when have we done that before? Um, you didn't need to, it wasn't a thing. And I think that now that we're going into a world where like almost, I mean, you can credit Trump by like bringing politics to the people in a way, right? Like he's, he's because of him up top and many others, of course, it's engaging a lot of a lot more people Mm -hmm. and also like you know you might be willing to click on a video about breaking down twitter and trump because you like twitter and you know about trump and how he tweets a lot but before maybe you wouldn't necessarily care about it's about section 230 of the communications decency act that like nobody before would be like you know what is this about and why would we care um i think you know something interesting that that i've learned i mean our team is made up of not just political people but people in the legal field, the arts, STEM. And I think that's really cool. We have a lot of people reaching out to us to be involved that are not politics driven at all, but they're like, look, everything is related, right? Every issue in this world can can relate to a political issue. Maybe there's a policy solution, whatever it may be. And having those different perspectives, I think, and putting out different types of content is really important. Yeah. Building a team, I think, is one of the harder aspects. It's one that Joey and I haven't really done that much of this is a two-man band at least right now mm-hmm. why did you make the decision to make this much more than just you even though you are still the host for the most part of visual content mm-hmm. um i mean to be honest with you i don't i don't have the time or the bandwidth um i mean <laughs> sure. the like i am good i'm good at being busy and i always have been and i work from 6 a.m to 11 p.m and i'm fine with that like that i like doing it um but i needed help to do what we're doing i mean you know i'm I have a full-time job and I'm getting my master's right now and I'm, and I'm doing this and I, I love all of it. And I'm not trying to say that to like to my own horn, but the, we started this platform three months ago yesterday by doing two videos a week. That was our content that we were putting out two videos a week. We're now putting out content seven days a week, three months in. And it's, it's hard to do it on your own, as you know, I mean, yeah. everything we do is very well researched like we want to make sure that we're being factual we really do try our best to be as nonpartisan as possible we're just putting the facts out and like yes some people are going to take some issues to be partisan like wearing a mask but it's right like we're putting out the facts behind it so i couldn't do it myself and i was blessed to have you know some other people reach out and say that they were interested in helping out and i think that way we're able to build more than just an account But, you know, like I said, I'm a dreamer. Like, what's the future? Like a website and an app and just how do we bring things to you so that you can click on like, what are you interested in? Environment? Okay, here's 20 videos or 20 explainers on, you know, environmental policy issues. Mm -hmm. What are the benefits of being a nonpartisan startup, so to say? It's it's been an interesting journey, I'll be honest. I mean, like I don't I obviously skew very far one way, but my kind of goal originally was, you know, think of the kid who grows up and is only the political party they are because their parents are. Yep. Most people live their lives like that. You don't 100%. leave that, right? So I was like, you know, can we be that place that say, you know, Mallory grows up, I don't know how I thought of that name out of the blue, but Mallory <laughs> grows up. Um you know, as a conservative and she's 18 and she finds our platform and she starts kind of learning about these actual policy issues and then thinks, oh, you know what? Like maybe this is, maybe this is the party that I'm more identified with. That was the goal. I'll be very honest with you. You look at like the polls we're putting out right now on our story, 95% you can tell of our followers are liberal, 5% conservative, 84% of our followers are women. 16% 16% men. It's like really interesting trends that we're noticing that first of all, it does seem that like the more progressive people are the ones who want to learn this stuff and want to take it in maybe. Um, and women, 
maybe they're less selfish and self-centered than men and men think like, I don't need to learn. I know everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but women are the ones who are like flocking to it to really learn more and, and get it out there. It's fascinating that you mention that sort of like family oriented, um, relationship towards politics. It, it gets passed down from parent to, to child generation after generation after generation. I was sitting down with a group of people, uh, a little while ago, and it was interesting to see that a large sum of them were Trump supporters. But when I digged a little bit deeper into it, since I'm personally not a Trump supporter, uh, I digged a little bit deeper into it. Their all their ideas seem more liberal than they were conservative, and so I don't think that a lot of people actually get checked in terms of their ideology. It's more more so just like what does your family subscribe to or your environment subscribe to, and you almost follow suit. Yeah. Well, look, I'm sure you guys talk about this all the time, but like we have the, the everyone has the same hopes and dreams for their family, right? Like you want your family to be successful and healthy and safe, et cetera. And that's what happens a lot. I think when you break down, you know, someone's like really strong belief and you're talking about kind of, well, what is it that makes you believe that way? And then you realize there's a lot more commonality there. The hard thing is it's hard to get to that place. It's hard to get to that like sane, calm conversation. Mm -hmm. It's It's weird. Because, you know, if you say I want money or I want safety or I want health care, like, why is that partisan? That's just like a common, that's a common thread, you know? Well, I think that's where the the differences come in terms of party alignment. I mean, at least this is my kind of like who says it first is who they align with. If a Republican says at points, <laughs> I mean, at points, I think that's what it comes sure. down to. But my new prevailing kind of political theory um, is that we all kind of have the same values in mind. I think many of us care about security. We care, just like you were saying, we care about our families. But regardless of those core beliefs, they get explained in different ways by different parties. For example, uh, the concept of freedom, in my mind, gets explained in two very different ways divided across the aisle. The left describes it as freedom to, for example, marry the person you want to, whereas the right says it's freedom from the government. And in that respect, I think that there's a lot of common ground to be found. And as, as a legislative assistant for Governor Newsom, what has that experience kind of been like being in those rooms? Do you notice that it is that hyper-polarized in nature? Is there any common ground whatsoever? So I say this a lot. If anyone is pessimistic about politics, come to California. Like, Come to Sacramento and see all the stuff that gets done. And, you know, you can't say that that wouldn't happen without a supermajority, uh, you know, of Democratic legislators. But um, regardless of party, if you have a good idea, you can get stuff done here. And I think that, like, you know, California is such an absurdly diverse state and there's 40 million people and there's different types of areas every which way um, and people struggling every which way. But so much does get done every single year this year. Yes. Not a good test case. This year is a hard, hard year. Um, and the governor set his incredible budget in January trying to do all these things. And obviously a lot of that has been, um, you know, shifted because of the pandemic. Uh, but I, I truly think that like you look at California and you can start feeling a little more optimistic about politics. Yes. California is like propped up as a democratic land. And, you know, people think that from all over the country and of course it is, and it's a coastal state. Um, but regardless of party, like you, you honestly, I, I feel working there, like you're respected and you're listened to, um, regardless of the bill you're pushing, um, you know, regardless of the organization you're a part of, 
Um, and I think that that's like, that's definitely an important kind of um, caveat there and understanding that if you listen, that I think we do here in our, in our legislative system, um, if you listen and you're reasonable, not everybody is reasonable by far, but if you're reasonable, like you can, you can make actual change for your constituents. Mm -hmm. From my understanding, local politics is less polarized than national politics. I've had a little bit of experience um, in my county's legislator, uh, legislature, and what I've seen is whether they're uh, on the right or on the left, they both kind of get along with each other. Why do you think that the narrative gets so polarized and so skewed as we move up to the national level? I think it feels to people that the stakes get bigger which isn't necessarily true, right? Yeah. Like your local government is really who's affecting your day-to-day -day life, not the president, not the governor. Um, but I think it feels like, oh, this is the presidential election. This is a Senate election. This is a you know gubernatorial election. And it feels that the stakes are really high. And they absolutely are. I mean, governors, presidents have absurd amounts of power, but so do the people who are representing you day-to-day. -day. I do think though, as we move, like obviously with, you know, defunding the police movements, for example, um, and others, schools reopening, you are seeing a renewed focus on your local officials. Um, and you're seeing kind of those local officials being put in the hot seat at these meetings. Um, you know, and constituents are looking to them for answers. And maybe they weren't prepared for that in some places, and maybe they are in others. And obviously, it's partisan. I mean, Orange County just, you know, voted that they're going back to school and masks are not required. And mm -hmm. the governor had to step in and say, you're not going back to school. And when you do, masks are required. Um, but so it's kind of, I mean, you know, hopefully you can trust your local officials. I think in the bigger counties, it gets harder. You're representing a lot of different subsets of people. Yeah, one of the biggest fears that I have coming out of this time in, in the vast emphasis on national politics is the fact that people think that our institutions are just totally destroyed. When in reality, I think they, they might just be healthier than ever. And this is just a test to the system. Um, given this kind of goes without saying, but we have a really important election coming up, uh, at least on a national level. And there's many of senatorial seats, House representatives, uh, local officials as well on the ballot. What have you noticed to be really effective tactics to especially get out our generation, since that is kind of, you know, the focus of, of what you're working on right now. Understanding. I mean, I think it sounds like a cliche, but I think like the more and more people that like we have posting or sharing or stuff or reaching out that are like, you know, there was one this morning that made me smile and it said like, me, I don't understand politics. Simplified, we've got your back. Mm. And I thought that that was just a cool kind of explainer about what we do. And it's true because I feel that kind of that is our purpose. Um, so I think that the way to get people out is by making people, number one, understand what they're voting on. And number two, understanding why it's important. Um, I think as we're seeing injustice, you know, injustice has always been here, but it has a spotlight right now. Um, and hopefully that spotlight continues. But I think that people are seeing and they're like, you know, I'm so lucky. I think people are realizing how lucky and privileged they are um, in this country, especially, you know, compared to other places in the world, um, how lucky they how lucky I am for being a white kid from an affluent California community. Um, extremely lucky. And I think that people are noticing that for the first time in, in their lives about themselves and understanding that that's the way to get themselves out there. So, like, we're going to have a really, really strong focus coming up on the election and it's not necessarily going to be a get Trump out of there. It's just going to be like, these are the things that are important um, on a ballot. I think we also want to break down, you know, 
you look at a ballot and it's confusing and there's so many things to vote for and you're like, what the heck does any of this mean? We're trying to think of, you know, how do we break that down for you? How do we kind of emulate the ballot so you, you know, can feel that you're com comfortable and confident going to the ballot box and hopefully more mail-in ballots make more people vote. I mean, yeah. people are still a bit lazy, but having it right at your fingertips, if you do understand, hopefully that helps. Given your experience, um, what are some tactics that you've seen or that you hope to see uh, in order to actually galvanize some sort of votership to lead America or our state legislators or local county uh, legislators uh, on a better path? Uh, um, I mean, I, it's tough. I mean, I think, you know, I have mad respect for every single anti-voter suppression organization out there that is working to register people day and night um, and to get people to the polls. And we're seeing, you know, more. There was an article yesterday about the potential for Homeland Security agents to be out there to basically intimidate people from being at the polls, right? If they're near, if they're nearby in, in areas wow. that are nearby polls. I think voting is also getting scarier in the midst of a global pandemic, obviously. Um, but I do think that to galvanize voters and to galvanize change it comes from education. And I know I sound like I'm, you know, beating a dead horse, but it, it truly is. I mean, the more people understand and the more people understand their role, like how can I make a change on a daily basis? Cause I think we all feel a little helpless often in our lives about, well, what can I do just as one person? Um, you know, really using that and using your own voice and your own platform. I don't care if you have 50 followers on your social media or you have five friends that you want to call it makes a difference. And I think you have to be open to having uncomfortable conversations, especially those of us who are really passionate about it, having those uncomfortable conversations with some friends, family, whatever. Um, if, if, you know, it's safe to do so, have those conversations and, and get commitments from those people. Have your goals in mind. Like, do I want to change your mind on one issue? Do I want to get you to the polls? Do I want to just hear you out? Like, what is it? If we have our goals in mind, I think that's kind of where we can really make that incremental change that hopefully leads to that big change when you see that happening across the country and has a ripple effect. Yeah, you're opening up a lot of conversations with what you're putting out on social media right now. But I'm wondering if you have any cautionary tales, given the fact that social media can very quickly turn into a, a hate storm and even someone who's just for lack of their own education is ignorant about issues, but is trying to learn, they can get shut down so quickly. So is there any, if there, or has there been anything that you've noticed like that? Um, or do you have, you know, any cautionary tales there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really become, I mean, as we've grown and we've had a, we've grown 10,000 followers in the last week. Like it's been a crazy week for us and we're really excited about it and getting out there. But what does that come with? It comes with more people looking at your stuff and engaging yep. with your stuff. So we have been talking internally kind of about how, how to do it, right? We don't want to be moderating. We don't want to be deleting comments, but at the same time, like there are people in there that are spewing really hateful messages um, and going to try to hurt other people. There are other people having actually really good back and forth conversations about their disagreements and things can get a little aggressive. Sometimes that's no problem. But I don't, we're not going to be a platform where you get to spew your hate. But if you want to say your opinion, by all means, say your opinion and let people engage back and forth with you. I try on my personal not to engage, but I like can't help it. And some of these comments that I see, like I can't just ignore it. Um, but one example, I mean, I'll give you uh, that I think kind of goes both ways. We did a post a few weeks ago on the racial inequity of, of coronavirus. 
and there are tons of people in there saying, oh, great, now the, ra- now the uh, virus is racist, or God, how did you make this racist? And I think that like, it's a hurtful thing to say, but it also totally stems from a lack of understanding and ignorance about, you know, about people of color and the, how they're in these situations that are more likely to um, contract the virus, right? And I think that's a good way to go back and forth. But we have more kind of controversial on our um, Poland presidential election, how it affects the LGBTQ community there. Some people just going in there and going hard against the LGBT community. Um, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. I don't know how to handle it perfectly yet. We don't know um, because it's a hard thing to do. And as we grow, but I think that there is a place, a big place for educating ignorance on our page um, while not being hateful and hurtful. Mm-hmm. Educating ignorance, though, is definitely a tricky subject <laughs> because you have to be yeah. willing to be checked. Yeah. And ignorant people, if they're truly ignorant, they don't want to be checked. They want the sense of yeah. fa- like false omnipotence. They're greater than everybody else and everything, know all, be all. But it's interesting to see even... Just the race aspect of coronavirus. Uh, we've talked to um, a few people. Uh, I, me particularly, I've talked to, what was it? I think the organization was called the Equity Alliance, and they're in Nashville. And historically, they have really low voter turnouts for the black community. And it's just interesting to see on that aspect how the black community is being impacted by the election and also disproportionately by the coronavirus. When we talked with uh, Professor Jonathan Metzl, uh, Dr. Jonathan Metzl about this issue. It's just there's a lot of systemic injustice which is happening, and if we don't call attention to it, mm-hmm. if we don't bring up that conversation, then the, these sorts of problems will perpetuate. You know, and so yeah. in order to actually, given given that you're you likely associated as, as a white male, I'm assuming, um, how do you mm-hmm. add that element of voice into your company that that is from the black community or is from uh, a community that is not of your own? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really great point. And like, what did I do in the beginning when I started this? I reached out to some of my friends and asked them to help me out. Who were they? They were other white people. Um, and I think like, you know, that's kind of an issue that we have. But we've made a really, really sincere effort um, to reach out to other people, to reach out to people of different race and ethnicities, different ages, different backgrounds, different jobs, different sectors, like I talked about. Um, to try to build that to ensure that the stories we're telling have voices in there. Um, I don't want to be out there talking about, you know, the importance of Juneteenth. I think I should learn it and I should have it, but it's not my story to tell. And I think that that's an important thing for us to remember um, as we're putting content out there um, and to make a deliberate effort to ensure that we have that diverse set of, of people on our team that are, that are working on these issues. Um, with that, you know, it's also uh a lot of research, right? Like a lot of not, it's easy for us to jump to conclusions, especially those of us who pay attention to politics to just be like, oh, well, I know this and I know how this works. I've learned a lot. I think the coolest part personally for this is I've learned so much in the last few months about issues that I thought I knew a lot about, but now I know a lot more about and even feel myself more comfortable going to the table and having a thoughtful conversation um, about one of these policies. And I think that that's been um, kind of a really great uh thing for me and i'm hoping for a lot of other people yeah it is frustrating though i'd imagine people listening to this could be frustrated as as i have been with the mere fact that this information isn't already accessible the fact that our politics is inaccessible to begin with and i mean that's how it started as well voters were people who for lack of a better explanation looked like us but they also had property and they owned slaves um and as we go through this process of expanding our democracy which i think 
is lacking in our education is this notion of, listen, we are not a perfect state by any means. Uh, we are very much an imperfect experiment. And that reframe and that check of American exceptionalism is one that's important in my mind because it reminds us that we're actually still in the process of building our democracy every single day. Mm-hmm. So We're not to, that old. No, very true, very old. true. So to wrap things all up, we want to roll the red carpet out for you, Mitchell. Tell them what you have going on with your life and where they can find you. <laughs> um, well, appreciate that. I, I would ask and, and encourage people to come follow us. We're at Now Simplified on, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, um, and nowsimplified.org online. Um, really, for you, if any of your friends need sprucing up, I mean, it's an election year especially. Um, it's a good time to come in. And also, if there's any issues that you're just really curious about that you want an easy way to learn about, let us know and we'll, we'll find a way to cover it. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Of course. Thank you, Mitchell. Again, thank you everyone for listening. Of course, all of our socials will be in the description down below, as well as Mitchell's and where you can find all of his work. We will see you next week with a brand new episode. Until then, peace.